We'll be in Psalm 1 this morning. Psalm 1. You know, we as Baptists, we love doctrine. And that's a good thing. Doctrine is the foundation for our lives. And I think Rick Warren said, doctrine is not boring, but it ought to be a sin to make it boring. Because it is the stuff that life is made of. But you know, just like you could know all the right principles of marriage, you need to also have a relationship, right? You never speak to your wife or your spouse. You never tell them you love them. You never help them. You begin to wonder if you really do love them. You say, well, I don't have to do that. She knows. That doesn't work so good. The same is true with God. We can know all these doctrines, but if we don't walk with him, we don't have that experience with him, the joy, that relationship. So I really felt led as I was praying to go back and just spend some time in Psalms. We won't do all 150 Psalms, but there's such blessing here. And I mention every week normally we do one of the Psalms of the day. You know, there are 30 Psalms, or excuse me, there's, there's five Psalms for every day, 30 days in a month. So what you do is today... If, if the day was the first, which is not. You take Today's the 29th, so we read Psalm 29. Then add 30. Psalm 29, 59, 89, 119, 149. And we encourage you to pray through. So how in the world do you pray through a psalm? Let me just give you a really short instruction on that, okay? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? You're the only one that's talking. Conversation doesn't last too long. And you hear about some of the saints of old that used to pray for hours with God. How in the world do they do that? And then the others talk about laboring in prayer. And I, I'm not discounting that, but, you know, prayer, if you, can you imagine if you had the opportunity to speak to the president and really he wanted to know what you thought about a certain issue out here in the West? And so you get dressed up and you'd, you'd think about what we're going to say and the, the really important things you need to share with him that he can do something about you wouldn't call that work I wouldn't anyway yet we have this opportunity to speak to have relationship with the God of creation the God that can actually change things and work to find out what his perspective is I said well he doesn't talk to me he has spoken to you and he will speak to you if you'll pray through the Psalms so how does that work Take a line of the psalm. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. You're there with the Lord. It's whatever God brings to your mind. God, protect me from sin. Lord, I don't want to go down that path. Next line says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. And you read that and you're convicted because you know other things are on your mind besides the word of God. And so you say, Lord, I want to be growing in your love for the word. But I want it to be my delight because, Lord, at times you have ministered your word and it has been my delight. But I want that to be the experience of every day of my life. And maybe he causes you to think of a friend that doesn't know the Lord. So his delight is not the Lord, it's not the word. You say, Lord, and I pray for my friend. 
Lord, give me an opportunity to speak your love to him. And then when God doesn't bring any more thoughts to your mind about that line, then just go to the next line. Read the next line and pray that line back to God and whatever thoughts he brings to you about that. The amazing thing about that is before long, you're going to understand you're having a conversation with God. What a joy. Know that God cares. He's given us this book especially. Now, you can pray any part of the word of God, but the Psalms especially for praising him and for praying. And there are so many things that Psalms does. The psalmist is going through this relationship. And sometimes he's saying, Lord, where are you? I'm in trouble here. They're gathering around me. They're about to eat me up. They're about to destroy me. And I don't know where you are. All your waves and your billows have gone over me, and I just feel like I'm under the load. I'm drowning here, Lord. And then the psalmist will go on, and pretty soon God begins to remind him of all of his goodness and all the times he's rescued in the past. And by the end of the psalm, he's saying, God, you're so good to me. I don't know why I forgot that. In Psalm 2, we get perspective on world events. Now, maybe in David's day, they didn't have the, I know they didn't have the far-reaching communication we do, but I mean, you look at the world, this world is a mess. And where is the government that would stand for God? Where is it? Is there one in the earth? Lord, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth cry out and the rulers take counsel together and they say, we're going to throw God's restraints off of us. That's how they look at God's law. It's perspective. The psalmist says, I'm in trouble and I run to the rock and I climb up. Like when you're out hunting in Wyoming. I get confused when I go to Casper. Everything's messed up in Casper, isn't it? I mean, they got the mountains on the wrong side. I come up from the backside, and they say I'm looking south of the mountains. It feels like west. Every place else in Wyoming, I'm pretty straight on where I'm at. But Casper, I get all turned around. But if you get out hunting, and all of a sudden you just kind of get in the middle of one of those things, and you forget where you are, you crawl up to a high place, you get up on a high place, you look around and say, oh, okay, now I know where I'm at. That's our God. The perspective he gives us in the Psalms, he reminds us he's in control. Maybe it's the enemy and people are just destroying. You know they're out to get you. You say, well, I think I need a pregatory prayer here. You say, well, that's not Christian, is it? In pregatory prayer, we're going to go through one of those, Psalm 35. Pregatory prayer is when you're praying judgment down on your enemy. You say, well, I thought we were supposed to pray for your enemy. That might be one way to do it. But what the psalmist is doing when he's praying for God to destroy his enemy, he's saying, God, that's not my business. I'm not going to take vengeance. Vengeance is yours. You break their arm. You smash their face. Because God has the ability to make that enemy into a brother or sister, but you don't. So what he's doing is, okay, God, whatever you do in judgment, you see what he's doing, right? That's what the church did in Acts 4. They went and said, God, you take note of their threats. You see what happened over there, right? But Lord, you give us boldness to be faithful. Because God can change the enemy. But you'll be blown away by if you're going through the Psalms, five of them a day. You don't have to pray through all five. Pray for one. Pray through one verse. Start someplace. Begin this relationship with God that you know all these doctrines, but are you walking with him? You're going to find in the Psalms it'll blow you away that some trial you're going through a psalm will speak to it directly that day.
It's not magic. God knows where you're at. He wants to walk with us. And what a joy to know that he speaks to us today through his word in your circumstance. Now, there are some psalms that will be a little confusing. You read uh, about when they were captives by, by Babylon and the war's just over. They've been devastated. They've been ripped from their homeland. And uh, the people know that the Jews know how to sing well. Says, hey, why don't you sing us a little song? They're standing there with their swords over the top of them. And they said, well, maybe you'd be able to sing a song after the soldiers dashed your children against the rocks. Yeah, let me sing about that, right? You say, well, I'm not sure what I can pray about that. Well, it doesn't matter. If there's a line you don't really understand, go to the next line. Go to the next psalm. But I encourage you, folks, it's not just enough to know his word so you know the doctrines, but the application comes in how we walk with him. Let's go to Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Charles Spurgeon in Treasury of David speaks about this psalm. This psalm may be regarded as the preface psalm, having in it a notification of the context, contents of the entire book. This then is the matter of the first psalm, that he desires to teach us the blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sinners. There are two paths here. And everything in the book of Psalms, the whole sermon of the book of Psalms is beginning right here in Psalm 1. So the message is entitled this morning, The Way of Blessedness. Two roads, two masters, two destinations. First of all, two roads. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You have the downward walk of people apart from Christ. People that don't know God. This is just the natural inclination the world takes. Now in the world, there is some wisdom. There is knowledge. But apart from God, it's going to be like the legs of the lame, the Bible says. The, the, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like the legs of the lame. They're not even. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to them. But they have their own wisdom. And it says, how blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The, the counsel of the ungodly sounds good even to believers. And so to the simple-minded young believer... The warning is don't get hooked up with the world's counsel. The world's counsel and Pilgrim's Progress were worldly wise men. Well, just, you know, keep God in a box over here. That's nice flavor for Sunday, but you have to live your life too. And so you need to find out what you want to do and then do it to your best ability. Today, I think the thing is live out your passions. Well, the Bible's pretty clear. The passion of man does not work the righteousness of God. So just because it's your passion doesn't mean it's what God wants you to do, believer. 
But God wants you to know we spent time, as Carl mentioned, in Romans chapter 12, that God has a perfect will for your life. He has created you on purpose for a purpose, and he's gifted you for that purpose. He will work through your life that one day he can say to you, well done, faithful servant. Find that purpose. But the world says, no, no, no. You just need to find out what you want to do and do it with all your might. And if you work really hard, after all, you can do it. You can do it. Recently, I watched the film about the great, just a little biography about the great soccer player, Pele. And it's an inspiring story. It's an amazing story. This kid come, comes from the slums of uh, Brazil and uh, really no hope, but just loved the game of soccer. And it kind of tells the story. And, and what you can get from the story is if you just work really hard, you can do it. The problem they left out is not everybody's gifted like he was. He was an amazing guy with his body to be able to handle that soccer ball. Amazing. And no matter how some soccer players, how hard they work on it, they're never going to be Pele, right? But the world says, no, no, you just find what you want and just do it with all your might and then eventually you'll be happy. But no, you won't. But as you walk in the counsel of the world that says, Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the lid. Take care of yourself because nobody else is going to do that for you. Got to look out for yourself. Take care of yourself. Then pretty soon you slow down and you stand, and you'll stand in the way of sinners. Because the world has all kinds to offer, all kinds of things to offer the flesh. But the Bible says in 1 John 2, love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the lies, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. There's two paths, your path or God's path. Two paths. Now, if you listen to the counsel of the world, you'll be counseled in foolishness because it doesn't last. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if a man gain the whole world and lose his soul, is that a good business decision? And if you had gained the whole world and you came to the end and realized you could buy eternity with what you had gained, what would you give in exchange for your soul? The answer is I'd give everything, Right? When you finally realize that eternity was at stake, the Bible says, he that would save his life will lose it, but he that will lose his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. So the world counsels that which is vanity and empty and temporal. And the sin that's available, there's pleasure in sin for, the season, for a season. There's pleasure There's pleasure in sin for a season, but at the end it brings destruction. You stand in the way of the sinners, you'll be destroyed. And thirdly, bitterness, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's been said that Satan doesn't have any happy old men. And people without the Lord die in bitterness. Die in bitterness. Why? Because they should have gotten more out of life. I don't know all the varied reasons, the punishment, the things they went through, bad marriages, bad decisions. They end in emptiness. 
The Bible says, but the blessed man doesn't choose that way because, the word but there could also be because, because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. Why does he meditate day and night in the word of God? Why is it his delight? Because everything for his life is there. Light, the Bible says in Psalm 119 that thy word is a light to my feet, a lamp to my path. It's light, it's direction, it's a map, it's courage, it's perspective on life, it's purpose, and ultimately, the word of God is our relationship with God, a walk with him. Without the word of God, you just know you say the prayer of salvation that you're in, and then that's it. You're on your own. But God's not left us on his own, our own. He's given us his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit so we can understand his word. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.27, I believe, that... No, that's not right. Check that. We won't go there. I don't want to quote some. You look up and say, Pastor was not telling me the truth today. He delights in the word of God because it's his life. The more you live for the Lord, the more you're hungry for his word. When we stray from God, when we get separated because of stress, because of trouble, because of sin, we're out there by ourselves, aren't we? Well, I don't need anybody. But God draws us back and his word is so sweet again. It's, ama- it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit applies his word to our lives. The Bible goes on to say that he plants him beside many the canals of waters, literally it's canals like irrigation ditches. So we know that he has a different master. He delights in God's word because of a relationship, but he's cared for. He's cared for. When a tree is planted someplace, it's a tree that's nurtured. In John 15, 1, it says, Jesus says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Psalm 23, he's the shepherd. Sheep can't take care of themselves. They'd be destroyed. You just turn them out there in the, in the woods or on the, in the grasslands, coyotes, wolves, lions, they just eat them all up. They, they can't defend themselves. They need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need somebody to care for us, tend our vines. The Bible says that God is our husbandman. He is our, he's the one that takes care of us. He puts us right where we need to be that we can be nourished. And Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 13 is that we be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. So that in spite of the trials and the things that life brings us, When the adversity comes, our roots go deeper into the love of God, into his word. We have two different masters and two different destinations. The Bible says there that his leaf, we're planted there in a place so that we'll bring forth fruit. We have purpose. God saved you to bring forth fruit. You didn't get saved because of your good works, but you were saved for good works, right? It says, bring forth fruit in, in our season. 
Is your life, do you consider your life to be fruitful? What difference has God's love in your life made in the people around you? He's called you to bring forth fruit. The promise, him that has his roots deep in the word of God, in God's love, he's going to bring forth fruit. And then it says, his leaf will not wither. Isn't that amazing? That your life has purpose in every stage. It's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. To be useful at every age. As we get older, no matter how much you focus on it, you begin to lose strength, don't you? You lose strength. It's just the way it is. Just the condition that we live in. So we may not be able to do physically the things we could do before. And sometimes with age also comes the problem of different things just don't work this way. And so we've got to have heart medicine, high blood pressure medicine, all those things that happen to us. But the Bible says we can still have purpose. Our leaf doesn't need to wither. And then it says, whatever he does will prosper. What an amazing promise. If our delight is the Lord and we sink our roots down into his word and we're walking with him in fellowship, whatever we do will prosper. How is that possible? Well, first of all, it's not the prospering the world talks about. It's eternal. It's that which will be rewarded for for eternity. Because sometimes people think, well, if I'm supposed to have this prosperous life, how come I'm suffering? No, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Just because the world doesn't think you're prospering doesn't mean you're prospering. They may look at you and think, you've, you've done all the wrong things. You're not getting the things out of life you could. When actually out of your life, you're living a life of obedience and blessing to God. God's the one that takes the notes. God's the one that reads the verdict. Paul even said about his own life, I don't even judge myself. There's one that judges, and that's the Lord. And all we have to do is walk in obedience. See, he knows, again, why he saved you. He saw you before you were born. He saw you before the foundation of the world. He has a plan for your life. As Paul said in Romans 12, too, a perfect plan. He wants you to know that plan. And if you delight in the Lord, Psalm 37 says, he'll give you his desires. Well, if it's his desires, how can you miss then? How can you miss? People get angry and bitter because they've lost purpose because they haven't found their purpose with God. And even as believers, we can get off track, can't we? Get so full of life, we get distracted, and we're going to miss it. There's an old gospel song that says, nothing but leaves for the master. Show up in heaven. Well, I grew these leaves, but no fruit. It's motivation. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Not that he was going to stand in danger of judgment, but the thought of standing before his creator who gave everything for him with nothing to offer. But here's the promise. You delight yourself in the Lord. 
if you make him your life, everything you do, his desires, he will bring it to pass. You can't miss God's will if you're looking for it. But the opposite is true of the ungodly. The wicked are not so. They don't have someone that cares for them because Satan wants to destroy everything God created, even people that don't believe in God. Because God created them, he hates them. So he lies, he murders, he destroys, and he leaves people with no hope. If you're here without Jesus Christ today, you're in a dangerous, dangerous position for all eternity because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. Then godly or not so, they have no one to care for them, no one to direct them, and their life is empty. It says they are like chaff, which the wind blows away. In the winnowing process, we went there in Israel a couple years ago, and they took us to that that place where they show you how they, they did farm work in those days. And one was how they winnowed the grain, how they separated the chaff from the grain. And they just had these big things, and they threw them up in the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and what's left is the grain. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, very interesting book about heaven and hell. And he pictures hell, and it's not that he believes hell is different than the Bible says, but he, he is trying to make the point that people that don't trust Christ would not be happy in heaven. And so he pictures hell as this gray place that the sun never really rises, and it's cold and damp and awful. But the people in hell are given an opportunity to go to heaven. And so this bus picks everybody up, and they get to fly up to heaven. When they get to heaven, it's too bright and things are too real, and the people from hell are so light, they can't even walk on the grass because it, it cuts their feet. Because everything in heaven is so heavy and so real and so large, and, and when, when the people from heaven come, they're so big and bright and heavy and strong. The people from hell are so light, they can't even, they walk on the water, but they can't even walk on the water because they fall down. They can't even sink in the water, they're so light. And I think he's just picturing that that life apart from Christ that is just like chaff. It's just gone. Your life is over and there's nothing to show for it. I wonder more and more people that don't know the Lord aren't having funeral services. They have no memorial service. It's like the people are alive want to pretend like nothing happened or the people, person that died doesn't want somebody thinking about their life because it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 1 and 2, the wise man said, I'd rather go to a house of mourning than a house of partying because in the house of mourning, everyone has to think about that they're going there too. And I don't know, if maybe these folks, they don't want a memorial service, don't think about me, pretend like what, I never existed? <sighs> Blown away. There's a little saying, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They're not going to stand. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. The saddest words that any human being can hear. And some in that day are going to say, but Lord, we're religious and we did all these things. And he said, no, I, you weren't part of my family. I didn't know you. See, Jesus came to earth to die for sinners. And his blood is enough to play for all the sin of all the sinners. 
but it's only good for those that receive the redemption. And there are two paths. Jesus said the one road is broad and most people are going that way. The other is narrow and the gate is straight. It's hard. You have to come God's way, not your own way. And you won't be able to stand if you don't trust Christ in that day of judgment and say, oh, but see, I have this excuse. No, no one will stand in God's presence that day. The sinners will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There's not going to be any unbelievers in heaven. Nobody's slipping through the net. God knows each and every one personally. Each will give an account. And the Bible says one day the books are going to be open and the dead will be judged out of those books. The dead are those that haven't received Christ. They'll be judged according to their deeds. That's why we think there'll be levels of punishment in hell. But the best place in hell, no one wants to be. No one wants to be. And Jesus, in his treatise on coming times in Matthew 25, says one day the angels, when he returns, are going to separate the sheep from the goats. There'll be none unrighteous in the assembly. No wicked, no sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Isn't that a blessing? Psalm 139 says, He knows you're standing up and you're sitting down. You're going out and you're coming in. And he's ordered all of your steps. He knows the day you're going to die. He knows they're, they're numbered. So we don't have to live in fear. Some of you don't fly on planes because you're afraid. Planes crash. Yeah, they do. But... Go out with a bang, you know. We don't have to be afraid. He knows exactly how long your life's going to be so that we can live courageously. That's what's in the Psalms. The Lord knows the way the righteous. He knows his sheep individually. He loves us. And he wants to hear from us so that we can hear from him. So we can be a part of that every decision. Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. How do you do that? Do you trust the Lord with all your heart? It's very simple. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You might even start each day saying, Lord, I'm available today. Give me a sensitive heart to know when I need to pray. That we don't say, hey, God, I've got this. I know what I'm supposed to do here. Why not just check and see then? Lord, this is a decision. Lord, speak to my heart. Direct my steps. Lord, I think there's an opportunity to witness. I don't even know what to say. Lord, speak through me today. Just help me give some encouraging word. Help me know when to speak and when to be quiet. When to love and when to share. Where to go. What to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then in all your ways you acknowledge him. And then what? He gives you a straight path. No detours. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. I quote it all the time. It's so, so important in my life. How will a young man cleanse his way, make his path straight, give him a straight path? By taking heed according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. If the word is saturating your life, if like Paul says, the word of Christ 
richly dwells within you, then every decision, every event that comes up, the Lord will have some scripture he can bring to your mind if you've hidden God's word in your heart, if you delight it enough to take it in and say, I need that. And you know how he does that? Many times through trials. He teaches us things through trials. In the trials, when you stop running and you say, hold it, okay. Oh, that's right. God, what are you doing here? And you go to God's word and he gives you something from his word that's so precious I remember, and I've told you many times, the day that I needed Psalm 3. It was the 3rd of June. I was watching them dig a well on our property, and I was lowering a snake's belly. And Psalm 3 says, they say there's no help for him from God. God's not going to help him. Mm, He's on his own. But thou, Lord, you're a shield about me, my glory, and the one that lifts my head. And I just said, Lord, I need you to lift my head today. And oh, the joy of God bringing that one or two precious thoughts that gives you another step, another day. It's not even what he tells you, it's the fact that he does, that he cares enough to speak to your heart. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows where you're going. So the psalmist, young man there in Psalm 119, line 11 says, I'm going to memorize the map and I'm going to know the navigator. He, Lord, the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we thank you for your word. How precious it is. Lord, we get our appetite dulled by all the things in the world and all the information, and we start thinking we've got this, Lord. Draw us back in. Give us health again so that we have a healthy, growing appetite for your word and for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.